Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is the Reverend Molly Finney Baskin. She's the senior minister at First Church, Berkeley, California. She takes the Bible seriously, but herself, not so much. She loves Jesus and really does believe he's God with skin on, but is not above fighting with him in the back seat of the car like you would with any true sibling. She's a prolific author and a great guest, which you will find out in just a few seconds. I give you Molly Basket. Molly, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Scott. Great to be here. Thanks for being willing to be on here and talk about this week's lectionary text. Up, clo- up first, we have Habakkuk, which is probably, it doesn't come up, I think, that much in the lecture. I think it only comes up every now and again, because uh, it's not featured very much. Habakkuk 1, verses 1 through 4, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 as well. It's so interesting, though, because there's this passage in here that is so uh, kind of, you know, in Habakkuk, that's so kind of shaped the church, right? At the end of chapter 2, the, the right, there's the spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith or the righteous shall live by faith or the, it's, it's you know, the, the, even though most people don't think about the immediate context of that, but it, it's, it's a certain kind of text that's resonated through the centuries. Yes. And certainly now it's the ultimate throwdown, right? We all love to look at the proud and see that their spirit is not right in them. We all, we all think that we are not the proud, that we are the righteous living by their faith. Yeah, it's funny because last week was like the the gospel ring was the the Pharisee and the, and the publican or the tax collector, and and mm. I think I said in the sermon, like there's probably something wrong if we're reading this and thinking, thank God I'm not like that Pharisee that's saying <laughs> right. he's not like the tax collector. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the ultimate irony, you know. And Jesus said, "Get the log out of your own eye," but it's hard work to really not see ourselves as the good guy in scripture most of the time yeah right that is interesting right yeah because we want to we sort of anytime i think we're identifying as the hero we probably read it wrong (laughs) we should think we should think that again we should think that over well this is such an interesting text because you've got like you've got habakkuk in the prophesying this time where like the people have put their faith in and their leadership and whatnot has put their faith in the wrong sort of places in egypt and places like that and now the Babylonians are going to come and, and yeah, they're is, at the gates. Yeah. And, and Habakkuk is prophesying in this kind of context and has this sort of dialogue with God about, you know, what's going to happen here in the sixth century to, to the kingdom of Judah. So it's yeah. kind of a dark context. And it's interesting, you know, Habakkuk's representing the people and maybe the people haven't been a hundred percent doing what they're supposed to do, but Habakkuk is saying, God, do your job. You know, before the Babylonian, Babylonian exile, you can put a stop to this. You know, stop this now. We, we see the violence around the edges already. Will you not save us? 
You know, how can you let us look at this wrongdoing and not save us? Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. There is an empathy there with the people. He's not one of the. He's not a kind of prophet. He's not a sort of unempathetic prophet, which sometimes does pop up in the Bible. But oh yeah, sure. You know, you, you guys are getting what you deserve, and until you're right with God, this is going to keep happening. That's more my kind of prophet. You know, that kind of Schadenfreude prophet. Frankly, <laughs> <laughs> not Habakkuk. I actually, learned Habakkuk means embrace, which is so sweet. It's not really how we think of the prophets as these tender souls. But, you know, Habakkuk was kind of maybe holding the people in this embrace when he saw how beset they were or were about to be. Yeah. And the, and the answer that, that he gets about like deliverance is, I, I love it. It's so poetic. The vision awaits its time, you know, yeah. that, that this vision of deliverance will come, but it's not necessarily going to come on the timetable that Habakkuk or the people want or expect, but it will come. And I think that's so often, right? Like yeah. the, the, the place where this is so easy to relate to uh, where, you know, even though our historical situation might be different than Habakkuk and the people of Judah at the time, it's all of us probably have known times where we yeah. feel like our backs against the wall and we're filled with anxiety and dread and stress and frustration and struggle. And we, you know, even if we do feel a connection to God, the sense is like, when, God, when? And it's like, right. <laughs> when's it going to come? So much of faith is patience. And we forget all the time that we're living through history, but in real time. Like, we have to do it. We can't do like the YouTube video where you can go twice the speed and learn the thing in half the time. We have to live in real time. And looking back, I mean, all all of scripture is history, essentially. And we think it was easier for people then, but it wasn't. They were also living in real time. You know, time had the same pace then. But, you know, I love that phrase. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It's just, just, there's a sweetness to it, like teaching us patience. You know, we are stronger than we know, and this too will be history someday. And God will have brought a new chapter into our lives. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea of patience there's this book by a uh, czech theologian patience with god in it he says mm. that uh he says that uh patience with with yourself is hope patience with others is love and patience with god is faith mm. and i thought that's such yeah. a beautiful way of seeing like uh, like all the supernatural virtues in some ways are related to patience yes and you know, the root word of patience is suffering. So they're tied up together. Can we suffer in slow motion and somehow let that suffering strengthen us? Which is not to say that suffering's virtuous. I don't want to be, you know, that person kind of selling that theology. But there is something, we, I don't think we need to seek out suffering. It's certainly going to find us. Yeah, it'll come. It'll come. Yeah, yeah. But this understanding that we can grow in strength and faith through suffering. I, I think that's gotten lost a lot. Yeah. And I, yeah. Cause I think you're right. And it's related to patience and the way it's interesting too, that, that you like, I'm the, the, the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee is still in my head. And you think about this teaching of like that, that I love it. Jesus says people that are looking with contempt on other people. And he says that the, the, the humble will be lifted up, but, but the, you know, the, those who exalt themselves, 
you know, won't be, you know, so there's this sort of, and you see that here, like the way to live in the time between the times and the time of expectation and fulfillment is, is you, you live, you know, that you can live sort of puffed up, you know, try to live in your own strength, prideful, or, or just in banking on the stuff that makes this world go round. Right. Trying to buffer yourself from everything. And you, you can't, I mean, no matter how wealthy or powerful you are, you can't buffer yourself from death. You can't buffer yourself from losing the people you love. And and that buffering may actually cause you harm, <laughs> cause you spiritual harm, because it also buffers you from God. Yeah, yeah. And so the just, the, the righteous live by faith, and that sort of faith it opens you up in the midst of the fragility to God and, and, and God's presence, maybe through others who otherwise you would be walled off against. Yeah. I wonder if the you know if the reverse is true too. The righteous live by their faith, but those who live by their faith are inherently righteous. I mean, it's they have no other choice. It's maybe not something they chose, but something circumstances forced upon them, or they did choose it within the, their circumstances. Yeah, yeah, and it finds a faith, a, a righteousness that kind of you know comes from. It's you know I love how how Paul says in Romans three you know now. The righteousness of God has come, you know, apart from the law and the prophets. So they testify to them, but this, 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 this righteousness—it's kind of uh, mind-blowing uh, and comes and and it really transcends anything we kind of imagine or know. Right. I, I really the word righteous bugs me because it's so you know I just hear self-righteous. I I feel like you know we have decided we're righteous. How do you ever know if you're righteous? But I like rightness, you know, more in yeah. terms of grace, more in terms of being really aligned with God's will so that, um, you know, in all circumstances, you can perceive yourself as being in the presence of God and you can be grateful. You know, what, what did Paul say? I'm terrible at remembering scripture word for word, but I've learned the art of being happy in all circumstances. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Amen to that. Speaking of Paul, we, our next reading is from Second Thessalonians. Bring it. Uh, verses <laughs> chapter 1, 1 through 4, and then down to 11 and 12. And here you have Paul sort of saying he's, he's incredibly grateful for this uh, community here and in the, in the abundant, you know, the, their kind of what fruit he's seeing in their lives. And, and you know, they're, they're going through persecutions, which we're not exactly sure what kind they were but you know there was there were various persecutions in the first century that the early christians suffered and yes. and then he just says with the, he's always praying for them that they might kind of live into what you know god has called them to that that christ might be glorified in in them and that they bear witness to him so it's a very yeah. interesting kind of a grateful paul here yeah and and paul and all his trickiness, right? I mean, is he celebrating suffering? Is he saying, you know, you guys are the champs, you're, you're sort of lettering in suffering. And what does that say about theodicy? What does that say about God's desires for us? Does God desire us to suffer in order to be the best kinds of disciples of Jesus? I, 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 this is tricky for me. (laughs) Paul, Paul particularly is tricky for me. And, and this Thessalonians text is tricky for me. 
Yeah, because I mean, here, I mean, he's not sort of saying that the afflictors are just like good or something, or that. But it, it sounds more like he's saying that he's grateful that they're enduring in the midst of hard things. Not, I, I mean, I think not saying that the hard things themselves are great, right? But, but that somehow in the endurance of those things that. that they are, you know, leaning on God in, in ways that he's grateful for. Yeah. I just wish he hadn't used the word boast. We boast of you among the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith during persecutions. I mean, this, this was such a tender time in Christianity. It was, it was nascent. It was under threat from the empire. Um, and, you know, Counterculture religion can really be strengthened by its persecutions. You know, people yeah. who think they're persecuted really can double down on their faith, but but is that is it the best version of their faith that they're doubling down on if they're feeling persecuted? Sometimes they become the persecutors when they gain power, and certainly we've seen that in Christianity in abundance as we've become the dominant religion in different places of the world throughout the last couple millennia. Yeah, it can give way to resentment, right? Like yeah. you know, that, that you can be, become resentful in Pers- in in the persecuted times, right? Or just so you feel purified by the persecution, and then begin to believe yourself the good guy. You know, again, sort of the world is divided into good guys and bad guys. Um, I I love I do love the focus on. Um, he praises them for the faith and for the, their love of each other, which is increasing. You know, Paul was a master of attributing, um, attributing characteristics to people that they had, but he wanted them to have more of sort of by yeah. naming it. It's like, oh yeah. yeah, hey, we, we, our love is increasing. Oh yeah. Like, let's keep going with that. Um, I have definitely used that trick as a pastor and preacher, you know, saying you are, like holding up that positive mirror, that unconditional positive regard, and letting people yeah, it's like imp- that. imputation. Like I mean, yes. I think we've learned we've we've lost that word positively. Mm-hmm. Like because mm-hmm. anytime we use it in the culture today, if we say like we impute this something, it's usually like you impute ill motives to me, right? But you know the, this Reformation sense of the term that you Christ imputes better, like like Jean Valjean and Les Miserables, like mm. he treats us better than we are, and, and we live into it, and, right. and this kind of. This kind of sort of, yeah, and all of us have probably experienced that where like a teacher or mentor or something has sort of given us this positive encouragement and and, and shown us a vision our, of ourselves. Right. That, the, that's, it's better than we are. And we live in prophets. Yeah. And yeah. then we can, they give us the room to live into it because of what they see that we can't yet see. Yeah. As I think like in human development, right, that's what we're looking for at ages like zero to two. You know, we're looking for that acceptance, yeah. not as a reward, but as a gift. And that's, that's sort of what, you know, that that's what we get when, you know, somebody mirrors stuff unconditionally. Yeah. Or ages zero through, you know, a hundred. A hundred. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I'm done needing that unconditional positive regard. You know, I, I, I sort of get into go down rabbit holes in my mind and oh, yeah. and need people to shine that light and show me who who I am, who I have been and who I can be more of. On to the gospel reading. 
which is a, a great reading. This is not that, not that all of them aren't great in their own way, but uh, I love the story where Jesus is entering Jericho and on his way to Jerusalem. And there's this guy Zacchaeus and he's the chief tax collector. And, you know, he's very rich and he sees Jesus and, you know, he's tiny. So he's in the sycamore tree and Jesus calls him by name and says, I want to eat at your house tonight. And yeah. that changes everything for this guy and his, and changes a lot for this community, just this simple invitation of Jesus. Yeah. So Luke's such a great storyteller. He includes so many little details that just paint such a beautiful picture with so few words. He's so great with the reversals, right? So, you know, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, which works on a literal and a metaphorical level. And then in, in one sentence, Jesus looked up, Jesus saw Zacchaeus, you know, like, Jesus already knew who Zacchaeus was. So powerful, just straight to the heart. Yeah, we don't know how he knew. That's what's so interesting. Is this supernatural? Is it? Is it? That he's he, Jesus. He's magic. Right. Or is he asking, like, "Hey, who's that guy up there?" Somebody like you know. It, it's just so like we don't really know. Like, right. But, we but don't somehow... get to see the backstage. We don't see how the sausage is made. I love yeah. that. I, I love this pure magical Jesus that Luke offers us. Yeah, and it's beautiful. And I think you know, it's interesting. I was. Uh, I actually quoted this in my sermon yesterday, from uh, but it's a piece from the Washington Post by that appeared on the 25th by a guy named Esau Macaulay, who's African-American, and he teaches, he's an Anglican clergy person and teaches New Testament studies at Wheaton College. And he was talking about how all the suspicion of Kanye West, right, and he says, as an African-American Christian trying to make sense of, of West's decisions, I've repeatedly reflected on the stories of Jesus eating with tax collectors that upset many of mm -hmm. his contemporaries. Business was booming in the first century. Rome had territory to conquer and empire to maintain. It funded the empire by taxing conquered groups of people, including Jews in the first century. Rather than collect the money themselves, the Romans engaged in something called tax farming. That meant they would sell the collecting contract to the highest bidder, who would then collect the taxes. Tax collectors profited from the economic exploitation of their people. They had money, but it was dirty and despised. And for that reason, they were shunned by their own. For some black people, West comments that slavery was a choice when linked to his support of the current administration makes him something of a modern day tax collector belonging to a group of people who we should instinctively reject. Therefore, any embrace of West involves joining arms with administration associated with harm to many groups of people. Others are afraid that after West is welcomed into a church fold, he will say something controversial that brings shame on Christians or he will grow weary of us and abandon us. We'll look like pawns. Hmm. And then he goes on to say that after making some other comments, he says the central teaching of Christianity is that we are all tax collectors in the sense that we're all complicit in the harm done to ourselves and others. For that reason, the grace afforded to us is available to others even before they have fully explained themselves to our satisfaction. We don't require accountability before extending a welcome. And I thought, wow, this is like so bold. That's very bold. <laughs> yeah, but it is the sense of like, this is a Zacchaeus is a bad person. <laughs> that everybody would have thought he's a very bad person, Jesus. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and not the kind of people that like. I mean, a lot of the religious establishment would have thought somebody like Zacchaeus was a bad person. But so the everyday person who's probably drawn to Jesus. Because he's so welcoming and, 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 and not typically like some of the more uptight religious people. And, and Jesus embraces this guy and, and the embrace bears fruit. Yeah. 
immediately. Like he didn't have to get Zacchaeus home and kind of work him over and give him some speeches. It it was a heart response and it was immediate. Um, He said, half my possessions I'll give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone, if I have, that's an interesting, if I have, I'll pay back four times as much, which in Levitical law, you had to pay back four times as much if you took something by violence, if it was like an armed robbery, not sort of quasi-legal taxation. So he's he's acknowledging himself. He said, I've done violence to people and I want to make it right. And this is just because Jesus has recognized him, has seen, you know, again, seen who he really is, seen what he's really capable of, called that out in him. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah, it's this beautiful thing, and I think oftentimes it, it's interesting because this classic sort of insight by Luther that the law can do two things, right? It's the law is not a bad thing; it's a good thing. But what it can do is it can restrain us, like it mm. can it can say, "Hey, don't steal," and uh, you might not steal because you're afraid of the consequences, or uh, you don't want to get caught, or you know you got pride in your reputation, and you don't want to be like. But it could never do anything about the avarice or entitlement that would give you the desire to steal. Like, right. or, or, or it can convict you of your sin, but it can't really change you from the inside out. And, and it's, you know, there's this great phrase that the theologian Paul Zoll says that grace provides what the law demands. Like, if the law demands that we love God and love other people, it's, it's this sort of unconditional grace of God that changes the human heart. And then, makes it able to sort of uh, live into this, what we're, what we're wired for, right? To yeah. love God and all God's made. And it's a very interesting kind of thing that we almost see a living picture of it in Zacchaeus. Well, you know, I feel really tenderly towards Zacchaeus. I May mean, I try not to see the world in, in black and white, good guys and bad guys um, anyhow, but Zacchaeus, I feel, I feel tenderly toward him. He was doing the best he could. He, he was, working within the constraints of the law. I mean, you had to pay out capital to get a contract. So he had skin in the game. Um, He was working within a capitalist system. Not that I agree with that, but like he wasn't, what he was doing wasn't illegal. And you, you might argue, we don't know what his circumstances were. Um, He was trying to protect himself and again, buffer himself with money. And it wasn't working because he was hated and despised. And, and Jesus gave him an off ramp from that. You know, we, we know that money isn't going to make us any happier. Science tells us this after a point, after like $75,000 a year. But yet we don't really believe that. And we still try to have both relationships and money and often don't see when our money is impeding our relationships. Um, but in that moment, in that gaze, in that sort of call down from the sycamore tree, Jesus, you know, it all came clear for Zacchaeus. And, and it's good on him that he recognized it, that Grace was more attractive to him at that point than relationship was. Yeah, there's this great hymn by William Cowper, uh, Love Const- Constrained to Obedience. And, and he, the refrain is, To see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and duty to choice. Mm. And, and this idea that, like, if we're sort of, if our, if our motivation is kind of, well, I want to be a good person, be a respectable person, and this sort of thing that that like it chafes on us, right? Like you're kind of like the second that we feel like no one's watching, we're like, all right. But but when we see the tenderness of Christ and and we're we feel that acceptance that 
our our that we that our motivations can change that we you know that 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 like that, that love opens opens you up like a flower is opened by the sunlight you know it's yeah. it's a beautiful kind of picture of 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 redemption here in, in this story that just is, involves eating right <laughs> come and, down and I want to eat with you and what's the life application because you know Jesus doesn't march through the streets of our cities anymore. We can't climb a sycamore tree and see him. And I think that's the other reason I'm so drawn to Zacchaeus is, you know, I was bullied as a kid by mean girls. And I sort of, I see him beset by mean girls, mean folks, and no one standing up for him except for Jesus. How do we be Jesus for each other? How do we see the the short of stature person, the excluded person? Maybe they've self-excluded to some degree, but they still want to be called in. They're, they're looking for a way back into a relationship. How do we do that for each other? How yeah, do we that, have that grace and that love and see what the world doesn't see in each other? In that book, Patience with God, the subtitle is... um. It's something like the the parable of Zacchaeus, and this priest talks about he's always been drawn to, like he was a priest in the underground church in the Czech Republic before the Iron Curtain fell. He says, you know, he'd always been drawn to the Zacchaeuses, the people who are interested but stand at a distance. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's that is sort of, you know, my friend Andy Crouch who says like that there's in his experiences, and this is oversimplification, but like. He says, you know, there's two, generally two kinds of churches. People are they're mostly concerned with who's already there. And churches are mostly concerned about who's not yet there. The people yes. that are at a distance, but look. And I, I, it's interesting. I think the more we see ourselves as people that have been welcomed when we were at a distance, less as ins- perpetual insiders, but people who are insiders only because of what God has done for us when we were outsiders, that, that we kind of look for the Zacchaeuses around us. Yeah. Know? Literally, I mean, almost every story of Jesus, when he's in public, he's looking at the margin. (laughs) He's not looking at the center. He's looking at the edges. He's calling those people in. I mean, the example is pretty clear of what we should do. Well, blessings on you and our listeners this Sunday. And I hope that that in churches all across the uh, podcast waves that Zacchaeus is uh, drawn near and that, you know, they meet uh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Molly for coming on the podcast. And thanks again to you for listening to Saxus. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.